Good morning, everyone. Uh, like he said, my name is Austin Hunt. I am the male youth intern uh, here. And I just want to thank y'all before we get started. Thank y'all for giving me a great summer, especially the teens. I've had an awesome summer. Even you, Cooper. Thank you. Uh, I know it's crazy. Uh, I just really want to thank y'all. Uh, it's been an awesome time, and I hope that um, I've maybe made an impact on y'all, maybe? I don't know. I hope so. So today we're going to be talking about uh, Desperate for Mercy. We're going to be continuing the series that uh, Brandon has started. And before I get really into it, you might be thinking, if you were here two weeks ago, hey, Brandon just talked about this, like when he talked about Desperate for Forgiveness. And honestly, that's kind of what I thought when I first saw it. I was like, man, Brandon, just give me your sermon notes and I'll just do the same thing because it's, it's basically the same thing. But I actually found it's a little different. So I'm going to tell you all, uh, just for the sake of this, a little, um, the difference between mercy and forgiveness. So from what I found, mercy... <clears throat> is having the power to inflict deserved consequences, but choosing to refrain. Now, a little bit, that's a little different from forgiveness. Forgiveness is more about your mindset and how you view that person, not necessarily the consequences that you can inflict on that person. Um, so that's really that's the main difference I want to um, communicate, because I know it can be a little weird. Mercy and forgiveness are pretty similar. Um, but I just wanted to start with that real quick. Um, so there's been plenty of times in my life where I've been desperate for mercy. Um, I have two stories today that my parents are here today, and they know these stories very well. Um, unfortunately. Um, so this first story, this was when I was about four years old. Um, and so we, we used to like to go into Texas Rangers games. I don't know if any of y'all are Rangers fans, but go Rangers. Woohoo! Um, thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, so they had these little wooden baseball bats that they would, that they would give. Uh, not give. I think we'd had to buy them. I don't remember. Um, and they were about this long. They were about this wide. And I had a couple of them at my house because um, my parents were cool and they bought them for me. And uh, and so how our, how our house worked is we had stairs that went down, and right across the stairs, there was a fish tank. Yeah. So as, I, you know, as a four-year-old, I was, you know, running down the stairs, with, swinging my bat. Woohoo! I'm having a great time. And next thing I know, I kind of black out, and then I see water pouring everywhere. Fishes are flopping everywhere. My mom's yelling at me. Carpet's all wet. It's a disaster. It's, uh, it is really bad. It's, I really needed mercy right there. That was a bad situation. Um, and then about three years later, uh, when I was about seven, uh, me, and my, me and my brother Jonah, who's also here, great dude, mostly, um, we were playing with these little plastic football helmets uh, with all the football teams, um, and we were just like flipping them, having a good time. And naturally, as two brothers do, especially ones that are pretty close in age, uh, we started to get into an argument, because um, what else do you do when you're that young? Um, so he threw a plastic football helmet at me. And so the natural response of a seven-year-old would be, you know, throw it right back at him. You know, he deserves it. He should get his punishment for trying to spite me. How dare he do that? Um, and so as a seven-year-old, I didn't throw that hard. Um, so I, when I threw it at him, he dodged because he older, he's older than me. And uh, unfortunately, there happened to be a flat-screen TV directly behind where I threw. And uh, <laughs> I, said, I said I don't throw very hard as a seven-year-old, uh, but I threw hard enough, let me tell you that through hard enough, and there was a giant crack in the TV. Um, now, luckily for me, my parents were actually asleep, and they were taking a nap because it was a Sunday. And I was like, oh, man, I can get away with it. Maybe it'll work with a giant crack in it, you know? Maybe they won't notice. Uh, so, so I went upstairs, and I started playing on my DS, you know, just to, you know, not worry about it. And then, you know, about an hour later, I hear the dreaded, Austin, coming from downstairs. And I was like, oh, my life is now over. So, uh, so yeah, that was a great time. Um, but yeah, I've, I've, been in, I've been in desperate need of mercy really bad. And they actually gave me mercy, surprisingly. I didn't have to pay for any of those things. And if I did, because if I did, I'd probably be in debt still. So um, I appreciate it. Thank, thanks, thanks, Mom and Dad. Y'all are, you're all the best. Um, but yeah, so I, I, maybe y'all felt, y'all are desperate for mercy. Maybe you have a broken fish tank story like me. Maybe you have a broken relationship story. Maybe you have a story where 
um, you've been wrong. You've completely wronged someone else, and you need mercy from them. Maybe you need mercy from God. Maybe you've done plenty of things in your life um, that have required mercy. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about a story in the Bible where someone was also in desperate need of mercy, and that's going to be found in Luke 15, 11 through 32, if y'all would turn there with me. And it's the story of the prodigal son. So in Luke 15, I would encourage you to read the whole chapter. It's a really good chapter. Uh, this is the third story that Jesus tells to the Pharisees. Um, the two stories before, the lost coin and the lost sheep. Again, really good stories that I think you should read. Um, so the people he's talking to, he's talking to the Pharisees. Now the Pharisees, if you're unaware, are, were the religious leaders of that time. They were the elite class. They were the cream of the crop. They were the good guys. They were really people that people at that time wanted to get to know. But in the, in the context of the Gospels, uh, they were seen as the villain. They were the ones who who ended up getting Jesus crucified. They were continually trying to trap him and test him and um, kind of make him admit that he didn't, uh, you know, that he wasn't the son of God because they were very, very adamant that he was not. And he's also talking to tax collectors and sinners, people who were at the pretty much opposite end of the food chain of the Pharisees, people that no one wanted to associate with, no one wanted to talk to. Jesus was talking to them in this, <clears throat> in this parable. All right, so we're going to start in verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. So in this story, we're introduced to three people right off the bat. We got the father and we got his two sons. So the younger son asks, hey, why can't I just have my inheritance now? So in that time, the inheritance rules worked pretty much very similar to how they work now, is you only got your inheritance when the parent or whoever you were getting this inheritance from uh, passed away and was gone. Um, so basically what the younger son is saying here is that, Father, you know, you're more important to me as money than you are as a parent. You're more important to me dead than you are alive. That's what he says to his, his father. Now, I'm not a parent. I don't have any, I don't have any children. But I can't imagine the, the pain and the hurt that that statement caused. That statement caused his father who raised him, who took care of him, and who gave him everything he had. He said he wanted him dead. So we'll continue in verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. <clears throat> so the son finally, he gets his newly acquired wealth. And he goes out to a distant country. We don't know where that country is. We don't know how far he is. We have no idea what he does specifically. But we know that he has a great time. He's doing, he's doing awesome. He's, having, he's partying it up in Jerusalem, wherever he is. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. Um, but he's having a great time. He's doing awesome for as, however many years, we have no idea. We don't, we don't know how long um, he's out there and away from his father and his family. But eventually, um, you know, money runs out, as it does, and he's left with nothing. He's left with nothing. So he has to go, hire himself out to a citizen of a foreign country who he doesn't know, and feed pigs. Now that detail, feeding pigs, is kind of an interesting one that I think Jesus didn't have to mention. He didn't have to mention that he was feeding pigs. Because at this point, the Pharisees were thinking, oh man, this younger son, he is the worst. He is the worst person ever. Not only did he disrespect his father, not only did he say he wishes he was dead, not only did he leave his father, <clears throat> excuse me, not only did he squander all the wealth that he stole from his father, 
He also fed pigs. Now, in Jewish culture, pigs were seen as the most unclean animal you could ever have. If you were ever associated with pigs, you were ostracized from society, basically. You had to go through an entire religious ritual to cleanse yourself from feeding pigs. So that's where this guy's at. He is at rock bottom. He has never been lower. He is, his family doesn't, well, he assumes his family doesn't like him because he stole all the money. He said he wishes his father was dead. He's in a foreign country that he doesn't know, and he's feeding pigs. He is at the worst possible point that he could be at. And so that's where we find him in verse 17. We're going to continue there. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. <clears throat> so he, he finally realizes, like, man, I am such a screw-up. What have I done? I've disrespected my father. I've disrespected my culture. I've disrespected everything that I know. I need to go back. That's what he's thinking. And he, he prepares a speech. He prepares a speech just so he knows exactly what to say. He knows that his dad's probably going to be really mad at him. He knows that he's going to have a terrible time when he gets back, but he at least wants to have something to say, and so he does. <clears throat> and he chooses the phrase hired servant. Hired servant. He doesn't choose slave. He doesn't choose son. He doesn't choose anything like that. He says hired servant. Now, in that time, slaves and hired servants were a little bit different. So slaves had been, were in, the, had been in the family for a long time. They were seen as almost part of the family to a lot of Jewish, uh, Jewish culture. Uh, the slaves were seen as um, kind of just under sons, almost like the weird cousin that you have, you know, um, that I have, of course. Uh, so they were, they were seen as definitely more part of a family than a hired servant. Hired servants could be thrown aside. No one cares about the hired servants. But slaves were almost part of the family. They were much more part of the family than hired servants. But this younger son was so distraught. He was so in such a terrible spot that he, is, he would be okay with just being someone that is thrown aside by the family if he just gets to be there and be with his family. That's where he's at. I also like the phrase, I am no longer worthy. That's an interesting phrase. I'm going to get back to that, but I want to keep in your head, I am no longer worthy. Think about that phrase. So he's, off, he's on his journey. He's going back to his father, and that's where we find him in the second half of verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. <clears throat> the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now this section right here, this is one of my favorite sections in the whole Bible. I think it does an incredible job of showing the compassion of the Father and showing the compassion that God has on you. That we'll talk about here in a little bit. Um, but I want to emphasize the Father's reaction in a couple things. It says he's filled with compassion. I think, I think that's, such a great, that's such a great phrase, filled with compassion. And he also, he ran to his son. He ran to his son. Now, in the context of this story, it is um, usually inferred that the, the father is very wealthy. He has quite a few hired servants, um, and he has a lot of land. It is very se is seen as he is one of the wealthy elite class of, of the time, is what he is portrayed as. <clears throat> and in that time, um, those people didn't run. No, no one, if you're part of that class, you do not run 
under any circumstances. It was seen as unhonorable. People who were approaching you, they ran to you. You did not run to them. You never, ever did that. But he put those aside. He didn't care if he was unhonorable. He didn't care what anyone else thought. He just wanted to see his son again. And he also, he ignored the prepared speech that the younger son had. He had this whole thing prepared. He's like, oh man, my dad's going to start yelling at me. He's going to be so mad, but I at least want to get this word out. And he did. And then the father just skips right over it. He doesn't even hear it. He just says, quick, get this guy all these, all these things. Like he doesn't even hear what he just said. And I think that's such an incredible detail. I'd love to hear Jesus tell that part of the story because I think he did a great job uh, of that. <clears throat> and he says, son, not hired servant, my son has returned. My son has returned. So now if you want to go back to the younger son's reaction, he's probably, he's, he's walking through the, the country. He's, he's, he gets over the horizon. He sees his father. Man, I'd be terrified if I saw my father like that. I would be, oh, I'd be shaken. I'd be, uh, it'd be so bad. It would be awful. Because I would have, I would think he was about to just say the worst things to me because of what I did to him. I can't even imagine what he's feeling. He's probably feeling so defeated so scared, so nervous, all of these things at once. And then his father runs to him and gives him a hug. He relieves all of those fears in one second. Such a beautiful scene, such a beautiful scene. So this actually isn't where the story ends. Um, for those of you who know the story, this kind of seems like a good ending, and I think it'd be an awesome ending. Um, but it actually doesn't. It continues through verse 32. Um, so we'll be reading that starting in verse um, 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So we come to see the older son because, as I mentioned before, there are two sons in the story. So we see the older son. He's um, probably doing what he does every day, probably just in the field, plowing. I don't know what they do in the field, if I'm being honest. I've never, I've never farmed before. Um, but he's doing his thing, and then he hears a huge commotion. He's, man, what's, what's that about? And he probably hasn't even thought of his brother in, I don't know, however many years it's been since he's seen him. And so he hears that his brother's back, and he's like, why is he back? Why should he be back? He doesn't deserve to be back. I've never disobeyed you, Father. Why does he get to come back and get celebrated while I never get celebrated? Then his father comes out, and he pleads with him. Like, you should be happy for him. Something the older son says um, that I think is really, really apparent. He says, this son of yours. He doesn't say my brother. He doesn't say this younger brother. He doesn't say anything that would relate him to himself. He says, this son of yours accusing the father. But the father doesn't let him do that. He doesn't let him and alienate himself. 
No, this brother of yours. It's not just my son. He is your brother. And I don't want you to ever forget that. So that's kind of where we end. That's where the story ends, kind of on a bad note. Um, older son is, from what we can tell, still angry with his father, still angry with, the, uh, with his brother. And uh, it's really kind of a sad way to, you know, to end the story. Um, and I do think there's a lot we can get out of this. I think there's plenty of things that we can, um, we can relate this to our own lives. And so that's what I want to do. So I want to ask the question, which son, wait, I, yeah, which son do you relate to? Which son do you relate to? Now, some of, some of y'all are parents, as I said before. You might relate to the father, and I don't, because, again, I don't have any, I don't have any kids. Um, but I know some of y'all might relate to the father. You might relate to the feeling of maybe one of your sons or your daughters has left. Maybe they've come back, and maybe you, can, you remember the compassion that you felt for them. Maybe you can relate to that. And I don't, I don't want to um, you know, downplay those feelings, for sure. Um, but in this story, it's, it is, Jesus frames it in a way of, the Father is God. The Father in this story is seen as God. And while you can maybe relate to him on a little bit of, on a um, kind of a little bit of a level, um, this story I think can get, you can get more out of this story by relating to the, uh, the two brothers. So that's what we're going to do. So we're going to start with the younger, the younger brother, the bad guy. So when, re, when you relate to the younger son, when you're down in the dumps, when you're just you need mercy. When you know you need mercy, you're like, oh, I've, I'm the worst. I've disrespected everyone I know. I've disrespected God. I've disrespected whoever it might be. And you know you need mercy. I want you to know these. Number one, don't just think. Don't just think. Don't just think, man, wouldn't it be awesome if I, was, if I received mercy from this, from whoever it is. If I received mercy from God, if I received mercy from, from anyone in your, in your life, wouldn't that be great? And then stop. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. I am pleading for you to not do that. Verse 17, we see the younger son. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. He faced his father. He faced him. In spite of all the things he had done, in spite of all the things that he assumed was going to be there, he faced him. Whatever the consequences might be. Number two, God is patiently waiting for you. God is patiently waiting. See in verse 20, we see the father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. While he was still a long way off. How long do you think the father was sitting there waiting? How long was he waiting for his son to come back? A couple days? A couple months? A couple years? We don't know. But he saw him from a long way off. He had been waiting, longing for his son to come back. And God is the same way with you. He wants you to come back so bad, and he will be there, right, he will be right there, right when you turn around, he's right there for you. He's right there. Number three, remember you can't outrun God's mercy. You can't outrun God's mercy. Verse 24, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. It didn't matter what the younger son did. He didn't, the father didn't even ask. 
He doesn't care what the younger son did. He doesn't care all, through all the things he's done. He doesn't care that he fed pigs. He doesn't care that he, the last thing he said to him was he wishes he was dead. He doesn't care. He doesn't care that he went to a foreign country. He doesn't ask. He does not need to know because he doesn't care. All he cares is that his son is back safe and sound, and he doesn't care what you did. The son could have come back maybe 20 years after he did, 20 years later, and the father would still be there waiting, and he would never, ever outrun his father's mercy, just like you can't. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you've hurt. It doesn't matter if you've hurt God. It doesn't matter if you've hurt in any amount of people. It does not matter, because God is there for you, and you can never, ever outrun what God wants for you. So we actually have two characters, like I said, to relate to. So that was the younger son. So if you relate to the older son, um, first thing I want you to remember, first thing I want you to remember if you relate to the older son, maybe who's more angry, who was not very happy that his, his son had, or his, his brother had returned, I want you to think these three things. Number one, put aside your biases and celebrate with God. Celebrate with God. Verse 32. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The father goes out and pleads with the younger, with his, with his older son. Please come back in. Please come back in. He doesn't, he doesn't even say come back and forgive. Come back and show him mercy immediately. He wants to come in and celebrate. Celebrate that he's back. Celebrate that he's back should be a happy moment that his, son, that his son is back. Just like it should be here. Someone walks through those doors you don't know. That should be a happy moment. We should be excited when someone we don't know comes to this place. I feel like all too often we forget that. Because as we, see, as we saw before, the older son wasn't celebrating. He was angry. So why wouldn't he? Why would the older son not celebrate? What was preventing the older son from celebrating? Verse 29. But he answered his father, Look, after all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Why should he be brought back, father? Why can't you see me? Why can't you appreciate me? All the things that I've done, I've never left. I've been here for you every single day. Why should he get to come back like nothing happened? That's not fair. It's not fair. I've been coming to church every single week. Every time those doors open, I'm here. I'm here for you, God. I'm here for you every time I can. So why, when someone comes in who hasn't been here for 20 years, why should we accept them? They don't deserve it. They don't deserve to be here. I felt like that before. I felt like that. And I understand where he's coming from. I think we all want I think we all want it to be fair. I think that's a fair thing to say. I think we all want the world to be fair. Second thing I want you to remember if you think like this, just like me. Remember that you disobey all the time. All the time. In verse 29 he says I have never disobeyed your orders. Never. Is that true? Thank you, Cooper. It's not true. Exactly. 
That can't be true. There is no way the older son has never disobeyed his orders. Not once. It's the same with you and me. We disobey all the time. Why should we act like we're better than anyone else who walks through here? Why should we get to act like that? We shouldn't. That kind of leads into the third point. Remember, you aren't qualified to judge anybody. You aren't qualified. The fact that you disobey immediately disqualifies you from judging anyone in here. Anyone who walks through the door, anyone who you meet, you do not have the right to judge them. James 4, 11 through 12. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Who are you to say that someone can't walk through here? Who are you to say they don't deserve to be here? Who are you to say that just because they're not wearing something that you don't like, that means they can't be here? Who am I to say that? Who am I to say because, oh, I don't like this person, they shouldn't be here? Who am I to say that? I don't get to sit on the judgment throne. I don't get to make those decisions. God does. God sits on the throne. He is the one who gets to make those decisions. And guess what? He offers you mercy just as much as he offers anyone else. Anyone who walks through there receives mercy just like you. Just like you. There may be people in here you might not like. There may be people in here I don't like. Sorry, that was the, that was the thing. I actually do like Ben. Ben's a cool dude. Um, there are plenty of people in here that I might not like. Plenty of people here you might not like. You might not think they should be here. You might not think, you might not like that they're here. That doesn't matter. They receive the mercy. They receive the same mercy that you receive. So I have a challenge for you. Um, it's kind of, it's, it's honestly, it's easy for me to say, but I know it's hard for you to do. If you know a person that you not, don't necessarily like, you don't necessarily get along with, you don't think that they kind of deserve to be here, I have a challenge. You can just talk to them. It's very simple. Just talk with them. Learn their story. Learn how they got here. Learn why they're here in need of mercy. And if, you, if, you, if you've been shown this mercy, you've been shown the mercy that God gives you, share with them. Share with them the mercy that God has so freely given you and them. So I challenge you today, today, after we do all of the baptism, after all of that, today, go find someone that, you, that you've never seen or that you might not be super good friends with and talk to them and find out their story and find out why they're here. Show them the mercy that you have been given. So I said before um, that you should remember the phrase, I am no longer worthy. Uh, it's a pretty key phrase in verse 19. Um, there it is. I, I might have gotten the slides mixed up, whatever. Um, that's a very key phrase. He says, I am no longer worthy. No longer worthy. That kind of implies that he was worthy before. He was worthy, but now that he has done all these things, he is not he is no longer worthy because of the actions that he does. That's true. You aren't worthy because of the actions that you do. 
but you were never worthy in the first place. This necessitates that you were worthy, you are not. I am not. No one in here is worthy of the mercy that God gives you, but he gives it to you anyway. In spite of all of your sin, in spite of all the terrible things that you do, God still elects to give you mercy for basically no reason, which is, I think, incredible. I think it's incredible that he gives you the mercy just because he loves you so much that he can't bear to see you be gone. I think Charles Spurgeon uh, does a great job of summing this whole thing up. Uh, Charles Spurgeon was, uh, he was a great preacher in the 1800s, I believe. I found that out like yesterday, so that's pretty cool. Uh, But he sums it up like this. Salvation is not of merit, but of grace. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter all the great things you've done. I'm not going to say you shouldn't do good things, but at the end of the day, God's mercy is all that matters. God's mercy is the thing that keeps you going. So imagine if we thought like this. Imagine if this church was known as the church where we gave mercy and we showed mercy to everyone who walked through the door. Everyone who came through was able, was received with open arms and was able to, to joyfully receive the mercy of God. Could we keep people out? Could we keep people out of here if we were preaching that this is a place where you show mercy and where you receive mercy? I think it would be an incredible place. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you relate to the older son or if you relate to the younger son. That doesn't matter. Because at the end of the day, neither of them were anything without the father. They were nothing without the father. And it doesn't matter if you relate to them. Because either way, God's mercy is waiting for you wherever you go and wherever you turn. Would you please pray with me? Dear God, thank you for the mercy that you so freely give us. Thank you for loving us so much that you would send your son to die for us and that you would be so willing to um, give us mercy that we didn't deserve and we didn't earn. I ask you to help this church in this place to be something that, or to be a place where people can be welcomed in and be shown the mercy that you have given them so, so freely. And I thank you for this church and I thank you for how they've welcomed me in. And I ask that The way they welcome me in will be available to all who come here. In your son's name I pray. Amen.